0: Okay, go with me to Romans 8, all right? Now, let's talk about this for a minute because um, Paul wants to go. His great desire was to go to the seat of culture, the seat of political power in his day, uh, Michaela, to Rome. That's where he wanted to go. And, um, but he's going to get there In an unlikely way, he'll be under arrest when he gets there. Uh, That was not the way that he would have, he would rather have booked passage on a ship and been in control of his own destiny, but that was not exactly the way he got there. But he got there. So um, he was involved in several important mission trips, the last of which was his uh, going to Rome. When you read the end of the book of Acts, you recognize that um, he was—he had been a prisoner, but he was there. And at the end of the book of Acts, he is awaiting trial. Uh, we know through church history that that trial eventually came, and he was martyred uh, simply because he believes what you and I believe. Wow! So he writes a letter. To the Christians in Rome, that we kind of started through this last week, he writes to letter, a letter to the Christians in Rome, um, uh, and um, he's going to do uh, as good of a job as anyone could possibly do, and we're going to talk about why, of explaining uh, The nature of salvation for the Christian, the centrality of faith, the relationship between Christians of Jewish and Gentile background is just going to cover all kinds of territory that, without which, we would have trouble understanding how we got here. Okay? Um, It's very, very important. So, all of this makes this book really technical and um, rich. And kind of hard to navigate through. So we're gonna we're gonna be in one of those uh, particular chapters in Romans 8 today. So he's gonna so being justified by faith is kind of the subject of the first four chapters in general, and certainly uh, chapter three in particular. Um, Paul in Romans one quotes Habakkuk two to set the tone for the entire book. The righteous one will live by faith. That's an Old Testament quote. So. Abraham, he's going to say, the great patriarch of the Jews, was justified himself by faith. Faith in God is a core element of, of one's life, um, not a Christian innovation. This was an Old Testament concept, he's going to say. That kind of faith is to be the foundation of our relationship with God. So, in Romans, beginning with Romans 5, down through chapter 8, where we'll be today, Paul lays out the implications of Jesus' death and his being raised again. Through Christ, the reign of sin and death has been overthrown by righteousness and grace. We kind of looked at that a little bit last week. New life in Christ also means freedom uh, from bondage to the law. That's kind of chapter 7. So, when we get to Romans 8, it brings all of these to kind of a climactic resolution. There's now, uh, if you look at your Bibles, 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that's in your Bible? I certainly am. Um, what the law failed to do, God himself has done through Jesus. Verse 3. Verse 9 and 10 is going to tell us that we have the Holy Spirit alive inside us to help us live righteous life. That's just great stuff. So, with all of this positive, good, faith-filled truth, he's going to go after in chapter 8, why does suffering and death still wreak havoc? All of us have experienced it. Maybe you're going through something right now. It's the toughest challenge of your lifetime. Why can that happen with all these other good things uh, going on? And Paul's going to encourage us to keep the big picture in mind. So that's kind of the backdrop. Steve Blair, I'm going to ask you if you will. He's been over there warming up since about 8 o'clock. <laughs> Would you pick it up at 18 and read down through 25?
1: But if we hope for what we have not, we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently.
0: Okay. John, can I get you to be kind of our Romans expert today? So I've got three or four passages I want you to read in the next little bit. 22.3, this will be kind of in order, uh, 1.20 tw- through 22. So it just says 21 in your outline, but I'm going to have you pick it up at 20 and read down through 22. And then um, 16, 20, and 5, verse 3, th- 4, and 5. There's like four different things in there. I'll just kind of, if you don't mind, man, I'll just kind of come back to you. Would somebody go to Genesis 3 and re- read verse 17 and 18? Cindy, that'd be great. And um, okay, John 16, 31, 32, and 33. three. will do that one. Uh, but thank you. Uh, we'll get Karen to read. It's so good to have you kids back with us in there. And then we'll, I'll I'll give you some more coming down the road. Okay, here's here we go. Paul says, "I've considered this." What does it mean when you've considered something? Thinking about. Thought about it. I've got got a friend um, uh, here in church who's he's a lawyer, and he'll say, "I have I've noodled it." <laughs> That's a great term. I've noodled it. I've thought through it. Now, think about this for a second, because he was trained by Gamaliel, the rabbi of rabbis in Paul's day. Now, um, John, read 5, I'm sorry, read 22, verse 3. It's going to tell us a little bit about Gamaliel. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in
2: Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Grimalio, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today.
0: A Roman citizen trained under the Jewish rabbi of Jewish rabbis. He studied this, the Old Testament scriptures, end to end. He knows how they fit together. So, therefore, he's got here's what goes in your blank. He has had a lot to consider. There's a lot for him to think about, and he's thought about it all. He says, "I have considered this." So uh, his conclusion was: any suffering, and he knows suffering really well, doesn't he? Been beaten, imprisoned. He's in prison now. He was uh, in a shipwreck before he gets to Rome. Any suffering, he's going to say, pales by comparison to the glory that's to come. Now, I think of many of us in this room who are dealing with somebody in our lives who are near death or failing in some way. Uh, Paul's going to say, I've thought about this a lot, he says. And even in my present suffering, he's going to say, this doesn't even compare with what's yet to come. Isn't that a great promise? Okay, so go to verse 19. He's saying, and there's a, a, a kind of a picturesque word here. He's saying um, creation, okay? And and what creation includes here is anything, everything. All that God has made Throughout the universe, he says here, is groaning. Uh, it's a really picturesque word. Uh, I, I think of um, the anxious longing, the groaning of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing uh, uh, of the sons of God. So the idea here is um, um, anything that you and I read the newspaper or watch the news or something much more personal that's not going to make it on the news, and you say, Lord, fix this. You ever pray that prayer? Lord, would you just fix this? Okay. That's the groaning of the creation he's talking about here, I think. Um, uh, Anything that we have said, the kingdom of God are those things that are under God's reign. And these would be things not under his reign. Um, so whatever this is, is groaning. He says, now I did a little study this week about, uh, Michelangelo. He lived in the, uh, the end of the 15th century, the early, early uh, 16th century, uh, for four years, a guy who considered himself really a sculptor. He didn't consider himself a painter, which I find incredible. Um, uh, talked about the frustrating difficulties of painting the Sistine Chapel ceiling um, uh, at St. Peter's Basilica. Uh, He fought with the Pope over having to do it, didn't want to do it. He faced all kinds of physical challenges. So if you've watched uh, the agony and the ecstasy, which is, When would that have been, guys, in the 60s maybe, maybe the 70s, Uh, um, where Moses plays Michelangelo? Okay, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Charlton Heston plays Michelangelo. It shows him painting it on his back. But the truth is, and I don't know which would have been worse. The truth is, they were up on a scaffolding. He was probably standing up doing this all day. It's stuff... Uh, dripping in his eyes all day long. And don't you know, at the end of the day, he is creaking and says probably to the boss, the Pope of the time, and he served under nine different Popes, which I find incredible. He says, comes down off that scaffolding every evening and he says, I hate this job. You know? He didn't have Tylenol to take to help him go to sleep, right? Uh, So he's got all these challenges, including with that were personal feuds with Raphael and Da Vinci. He's he's feuding with them all at the same time. But you and I know that his agony led to some pretty ecstatic works of art, Um. When you and I look up there or see it depicted in a book or uh, look at it on on the Internet like I did earlier this morning, what do we see? We see the ecstasy, not the agony. We have a different perspective, right? Uh, Isn't that interesting? Somebody else's pain results in something beautiful for me. And we see here um, what you see the art is the art. You don't see the pain. Paul promises here a future in which sufferings, the agony, will give way to glory, the ecstasy. I want you to think about that uh, as you think about someone that you love who has gone before or someone whom we might lose sometime soon. Okay? Now... So, good verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So let's talk here a little bit. Um, I, I, I want us to read a little bit here about as the result of our foolishness, humanity's foolishness, the creation suffers. Okay. Humanity was foolish in the garden and creation suffers. Let, let's read about that. Okay. Who was it that picked up uh, uh, Genesis 3 verse 17 and 18?
3: Cindy. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field.
0: Okay. I'm going to have you come back to 15 in a minute so hang on there. All right. John, go to uh, Romans 1 and I'm going to have you read 20 down through 22.
2: For Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, is he His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools.
0: Foolish activity, right? Uh, Trading God... For something I can carve out of a stump or um, out of a piece of wood or or metal or marble. I'm going to worship that. I'm going to put it up on my mantle and worship that. It's just foolish. But it comes from this original foolish decision in the garden that we read about in Genesis 3. Now, I want you to stick with me for just a minute. All right? What we have done is we've lost the dominion, that's a word I carefully chose here, that we were originally intended to have as humans, a dominion over God's creation. He put man and woman in the garden and said, here, take care of this. You're in charge. And if you're like me, I feel like I'm no longer in charge. Spent the first hour and a half, two hours of yesterday morning pulling weeds (laughs) trying to re-exert dominion right (laughs) guess what they'll be back next week Uh, it kind of talks about it here in what what um Cindy read it kind of talks about it here so the idea is here that because of foolishness a foolish decision in Genesis 3 and others yet to follow creation suffers now what what I want to say to you is this now hang on hang with me for just a minute Without Genesis 3, there is no cancer, Rhonda, with your patient. Without, you catch that, Sally? Without Genesis 3, there's no cancer. Okay. It's where it doesn't seem fair to you and me that somebody who, um, I've got somebody in my life who never smoked in their lives, who's dying with lung cancer. That just doesn't seem right. And it's not right. But the creation is just saying, mm, groaning all of creation. Um, can I tell you about a flaw in Darwin's theory? We've evolve, but we get worse, not better. Do you know that? Okay We don't improve. <laughs> All right? Everything is in the process of decay. Now, it's important that I catch that to understand Paul's meaning here in, in uh, Romans 8. So, okay, let's, let's go into verse. So, um, the idea here is as a result of humanity's foolishness, creation is suffering. But in verse 21, creation will finally and fully be released. And all of that is part. Of God's plan, there is hope. John reads 1620.
2: The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord
0: Jesus be with you. I'm gonna crush all this junk under my feet. Alright? Uh, Cindy, read Genesis 3:15. This is a predictive passage about what happened not only in the garden uh, but on the cross. With Jesus.
3: And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel.
0: Wow. Okay, so I was at work one day last week. Injury's dad found a snake. I, what was he doing out there? I, but it was in a place where I don't go, and he finds a snake, crushed his head. I'm really happy about that. (laughs) Now, Mikey, you're a guy who makes friends with snakes. I don't really get that. I think from Genesis 3 on, I'm supposed to not be happy about snakes in my yard. yard Oh, dude. And they're probably going to migrate to my backyard. (laughs) Okay, so the idea is this image, the serpent Ex- exerted rain influence in the garden, but from the third chapter in the Bible, it predicts one of these days the seed of the woman is going to stomp on his head. Ah, sorry, Mike, but I love it. Okay, so the idea here uh, creation the hope is that. The creation is going to be released. So look at the word. Uh, we're in verse 21. Look at the word here. That the creation it, uh, itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption in the freedom of the glory. That word glory right there is, is um, in, in adjective form is the word freedom. Wow. Glorious freedom is what's promised here. You see the hope implied in all of this? Okay. So all of this pain that I'm experiencing is meant, in verse 22, the idea is to result in a greater joy. This life and its struggles are not vain struggles. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Um, I'm told, it's only theoretical for me. I'm told that childbirth hurts. <laughs> I was told that at a large decibel level twice. <laughs> Am I right? You didn't curse me, you didn't say, but, but I know, because I was there in the room, I know at least theoretically that it must really, really hurt. Because she told me it to hurt. Uh, kind of loudly don 't be it hurt. My guess is i didn 't quiz her on this, but I think I know. My guess is about fifteen minutes after Heather was born, you forgot to paint. You know, uh, wait a minute, is somebody shaking that one on, said no. just had a no <laughs> Okay, like I said it 's hypothetical with me i haven 't been there, so um, but. So, the idea is a greater joy is coming. Childbirth is painful. Um, There was a first century Jewish belief that Paul is referring to here that it's got to get worse before it can get better. (coughs) Okay, so when you read the paper this week, would you think of that a little bit? This place is groaning. But there's joy coming, you know? All right, now now in verse 23, he begins to talk a little bit about the granting of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, and he says, "The Holy Spirit is like a down payment of what's to come." So back before Jeff retired, I'd go to his bank and I'd say, "I need this much money for this." and he'd say, "How much you want to put down payment? Okay so uh, and I would say, no, Jeff, I want money. I don't want to give you money. I want money back. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> hey, if you, yeah, how does that work, right? Um, uh, uh, or I'd go to Larry's place, drive by a car, and they'd say, how much are you going to put down? Okay, so down payment. That's something to come as a pro- that, that I give now as a promise for the rest, right? I think something like that. So the idea is, the granting of the Holy Spirit is like a down payment of what's to come. Uh, Paul's saying one of these days, <clears throat> this body will be released. And then he talks a little bit about adoption. Let's talk about that from a, from a Roman perspective, at least to begin with. So the idea here is um, a common scenario in the Roman Empire will be for a wealthy Roman who had no heirs, to go to a promising young man from another family, maybe maybe his nephew or maybe somebody that's not related by blood kin at all, and he would go to them, uh, maybe somebody from a poor family, and he would pay the natural father for the rights to bring the son into a new um, adoptive household, and this adopted son then would be groomed to take over the family business. This was so common that it happened twice In stories that you actually know about, but may not have known this story about it. So, for instance, uh, heavily factors into the history of the Caesars, who frequently adopted a nephew or somebody to inherit their title. Um, Julius Caesar adopted Gaius Octavius, who was later known as Caesar Augustus. You heard that name, right? In Luke 2. Augustus' own, uh, he adopts. Uh, Tiberius. So this was a thing. So the idea here is uh, uh, this idea of adoption in this way would be familiar to everybody in the Roman world. And so when um, it is told here in verse uh, 23 that you are now adopted, it would be, uh aha, that means I get to take over the family business. And so we do, right? Now, Look at verse 24 and 25. We have this issue here a confident kind of hope. And, and this hope, I want to be sure that we understand it because it's not just wishful thinking. Well, I hope so. Um, it's not based, because it's not based on me, but on God's faithfulness. Um, the very last verse of 1st. Corinthians 13, you remember what it says? These three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Can I explain for a minute why Paul says that? Because when you get to heaven, you will no longer need faith nor hope. And love is going to be everywhere. (laughs) Wow. Okay? This is that hope that I'm going to get there. And it's going to be worth the wait. Okay, let's go to the next little section. Cindy, can I come back to you and have you read 26 down through 30?
3: In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among the many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified.
0: Okay. According to that watch, it's the clock. It's eight minutes to four, so I don't think that's quite right. But I think I've got about ten minutes. Here we go. All right. This is hard, so stick with me here. Uh, John, before we dive into this, I want you to go to Romans 5 and read about the suffering and kind of what it's promised in 3, 4, and 5. Yeah. Yeah, please.
2: Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us.
0: Hope does not, will not disappoint. Now... Back to chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit, capital S, helps our weakness, it says. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with, there's that word, groaning. (laughs) Same word, by the way. Groaning's too deep for words. So. Um, it's the same it's the noun form of the verb in verse 23 this idea of groaning so common in my reality today and I bet is yours is something will happen the phone will ring you'll get a text you'll see something on Facebook or you'll hear something on the news and it causes you to say oh Lord ever happened to you uh,
1: Gary, happened to you? Yeah, well, normally when we groan, we're whining and complaining. But groaning in hope is a joyful expectation of what God is doing and will do. That's a whole different kind of groaning.
0: The, the, the only thing I want to kind of capture here in your, in your description, which is good, sometimes I don't see the joy. You said joyful expectation. Yeah, I know it's coming, and, and I'm reading this. I kind of know it's coming. But for right now, it just feels really bad, you know? And I groan. And I, sometimes the only thing I can eke out in that moment when the news is just really bad is, oh, or Here's what God does when that happens in your life. The Holy Spirit says, hang on, Father, I got this. Let me tell you what he means. Let me tell you what she means. Is that beautiful? Could it be any more beautiful? That the Holy Spirit, capital S in verse 26.
3: Um,
0: um, Here's that. And and the idea here, I'll put a couple of references where, where God, the Holy Spirit, reads your heart in a way that you don't even understand. In fact, as you pray, you may say this, And the Holy Spirit says to the Father, well, here's what he means. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to say it all right. I had a conversation this week with Bill Reeves. (coughs) Lately, I'm just going to tell you, lately, every time I talk to Dr. Reeves, I hang up the phone and say, oh, Lord. Because they're going through so much, guys. We've got to pray for them. Uh, By the way, Carrie is is responding to treatment really well. She's doing pretty well. Um, But the news for Mary just keeps getting worse and worse for his wife. The Lord reads my heart and says to the Father, here's what he needs in accordance with Jesus who sits at his right hand. Now, look at verse 27. Uh, Let me me fill in your blank. You're going to shoot me if I don't fill in that blank. When words fail us, He doesn't. Okay? That's as simple as I can put it. When words fail me, He never will. He will only, though, intercede according to God's plan. He reads your heart. He knows your heart, but he also knows the Father's heart. And he wants God's plans to become my plans. So, when I get on the internet to see how much Michaela a Lamborghini costs. (laughs) Michaela and I are car fans. He will say to the father, uh, you know, he, he doesn't really need that. He knows he doesn't need that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) According to his plan, not mine. And verse 28 gives us needed perspective. That's the word that goes here. All right. Isn't it true that often the problem is my limited perspective? I read this week that the problem of pain is not why. Because that one's probably never going to be answered to me on this side of things. Lord, why? Rhonda, you're a little patient for the last month. Why? Now, we can connect the dots with some other things that have happened along the way. But but we still wonder why. The question that Romans eight twenty eight kind of deals with is the question, how long, Lord? How long? You know? It gives us that perspective. Um, now, so that brings us to verse 29 and 30. So stick with me for, give me another four or five minutes here. All right? Often debated, um, this idea. But I want to present uh, the idea in verse 29. Let me read it out loud from the New American Standard. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now, let's think about this for just, just a couple of minutes here. The issue is here, Paul's point, I believe, in context, as you read all of these chapters, and certainly read chapter 7 and read chapter 10, is that God is working out a plan in your life. He's working within a plan. Now, now stick with me for a minute on this, okay? Doctrines of foreknowledge and predestination are important to consider, but remember that Paul's letter precedes that debate by centuries, okay? (laughs) All right. Uh, And it really doesn't address the arguments that future Christians would engage in, which I think is really interesting. Um, The debate that comes several hundred years later, Paul really wasn't interested in here. He was interested in you and I knowing that God has a plan for you. Um, uh, Somebody asked me this week, uh, for a verse of scripture to use with a with a, a high school graduate, and I said, problem. It was you. Yeah, we talked about this. Sorry. And I said, we we all want to kind of use. Uh, um, Jeremiah 29 11 but I've been reading through Jeremiah in my quiet time and Jeremiah twenty eleven is really not about college graduates or high school graduates. I, I mean I can apply it to that. I guess it's okay. But I take it really out of context when I say God knows the plans for you and their plans to give you a future and a hope. That's true but that's not what it's really talking about Jeremiah 29. I know what Romans 8 29 is talking about. It's talking about he has got a plan for you and he's always had a plan for you. And your life's going to be kind of frustrated unless you go there. Amen. Kind of the idea. All right. So um, what his plan is for you. You ready? His plan for you is to be conformed to the image of his son. I, that's, that's the middle square on the bingo card. That one, I, you don't have to. I, you can get that one for free. Okay. I know that his plan is, to, I don't know all of his plan for you. He's going to reveal that to you, probably not to me. The whole, I'm not going to be your Holy Spirit. I know what his plan is for you, though. It's for you to be like him. <laughs> Could it be more simple? Do you see how all the debate obscures the truth here? If I'm not careful, at least. So verse 30 is saying, I know it says this, regardless of whatever else it said, that God has made an earlier decision about your future. Before he made you, he made a decision about your future. You can take that one to the bank. Okay. The rest of it, we'll debate till the cows come home. But I know that he has given you, made a decision about your future. Now, uh, it's pretty straightforward here. Don't confuse the real issue. When he says here, I think, um, when he says, those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me give you three things real quickly. He called you to follow him. Everybody in this room, everybody I've ever met, he called to follow him. (coughs) Number two, when you say yes... You are declared righteous. Not because of anything you've done, but what he, because of what he did on your behalf. And three, one of these days you will be glorified, ungroaned in heaven. You like that? There will be no more groaning there. So, kingdom subjects, of what we've been talking about in this series have a hope that persists. It hangs on. It's like a chihuahua at your heels. Just doesn't give up. I had to put a dog reference in there somewhere, Mike. God's kingdom is not and has never been in peril. I want you to hear that. My job is to follow the one who gave his life for me. I'm not there yet. But I'm getting better day by day by day as I learn to follow him. I'm trying to tailgate him, if you must know. I want to be as close to him as I can. We'll be in Galatians 3 next week, continuing this thought, okay? I hope you'll stick with us great to see you. Happy Sunday. I'll see you next week.